Mr. League and I were talking before services, and I began to get a little nervous. He was telling me about a time years ago when he had been scheduled to give the sermon, and the individual giving announcements went for an hour and ten minutes. And I thought, oh, my. Is... <laughs> so anyway. Well, my wife and I recently put our uh, two girls into uh, swim lessons. And they have, uh, uh, one of them has really enjoyed it immensely. And she's learning to swim, the older one. Um, she's having a great time and is so excited after uh, the swim class to come and tell us uh, what she has been able to do and, and, and how she has learned and just really excited about it. And the younger one, she loves getting in the water with the little inner tube around her and playing in the inner tube or hanging on to mommy or daddy, uh, safely climbing on top. She, she's not as, as anxious to, uh, for the swim lessons part of it. So as my wife and I were talking and uh, discussed it with the, the swim instructor, uh, suggestion was, don't push her. She's just not ready for it right now. You can come back to this next year or later in the summer. You know, the lessons that God is teaching us work in a similar fashion. You know, God is trying to teach us lessons right now. What lesson is God trying to teach you right now? As our Father in heaven sits on His throne with Jesus Christ at His right hand, there are lessons that He has for each of us. And if we don't get the lesson right away, God doesn't just, you know, decide, okay, uh, I just won't worry about that. God will come back to it with us at a later point. God doesn't just uh, move on. He, he, he has an objective for each of us. And if we don't get it, he will bring us back to it. You know, as God is trying to teach us lessons, you know, we should ask ourselves, what lesson is He trying to teach me? Am I getting it? You know, we all know that there are two ways to learn. There is the easy way, and there is the hard way. And I think as each of us looks back in our lives, we see certain lessons that we have learned the hard way. And it's not very much fun. You know, after we've learned it, we're certainly thankful for the lesson. Yet we wish that we could have learned it a little easier. Well, this afternoon, I would like for us to focus on becoming more sensitive to God's will in our lives. Becoming more sensitive to God's will in our lives. You know, our Father in Heaven does not enjoy teaching us things the hard way. He, his preference as a loving, as a perfect father is that we would be receptive, that we would learn the lesson, that we would respond to His gentle guidance. God starts out with all of us in the exact same way. Gently. Gently working with us. Gently trying to get our attention. And yet, 
you know, we can either give him our, our attention when he's uh, reaching out to us gently or, or not. You know, the, uh, the Israelites are referred to uh, time and again as being stiff-necked. Being stiff-necked. Occasionally I'll wake up with a, uh, a crick in my neck. And I, I, I'll, I'll think about that. You know, I have a physical reminder here that, you know, our, our Father in Heaven said that we can be a stiff-necked people, that His people are a stiff-necked. I think all of us recognize that we don't want to be that way. And that if we can think about it, if we can recognize it, if we can see it in our lives, then we can work to correct that situation. There are certain things that we can recognize in our lives and recognize that they are warning signs. You know, if you reflect on your life and you think about not only what is God trying to teach me now, but think back on what has God taught you up until now. You know, in your walk with Him, what are some of the lessons that He has brought you to understand, that He has taught you? And as you reflect on that, you know, were those lessons taught the hard way? Or were you able to to catch on a little more gently, a little more easily. You know, if, if you look back and you see that, you know, time after time after time after time, that all of these lessons have been learned the hard way, represents a warning sign. That, you know, I, I don't want to continue to go through life in this way. I want to get these lessons a little easier. You know, as we... Um, Look just on a on an international level. Certainly, as as was mentioned earlier, we have a lot in this country to be thankful for, and we understand that ultimately, the blessings that we enjoy, the luxuries, the abundance that we enjoy in this country, is not due to uh, us, to American ingenuity, or any such thing. It's as a result of the promises that God made to Abraham for Abraham's obedience. But God also described that if, if His people, His chosen people rejected Him, that He would remove those blessings. That He would put curses down before them. We read about that in Leviticus 26. But when you go back and you read there, you notice that those, those uh, punishments are described in levels. You know, God initially begins by, by saying, if you will do these things, I will bless you in this way and in this way and in this way and in this way. But if you don't, if you reject me, then I will pour out these curses upon you. And if you still don't listen, I will add seven times more to that. And he goes on to describe that. And he says, and if you still don't get it, I'm going to turn up the heat seven times more. And he describes that. And he says, and if you still don't get it, I will turn it up again. You know, our Father in Heaven is very persistent. I think we're all very thankful for that. Thankful that He persists. You know, God's objective is, is that we would be able to be a part of His family. Be able to see Him as He is. To enjoy all of eternity with Him as a part of His family. 
And He has to teach us certain things to make our character reflect Him so that He is reflected in our lives before He can share that with us. And so as we think about the lessons that God is is trying to teach us, as we think about how receptive we are, how easily we are, are, are learning it or getting it, we can think about the fact that if we see a theme in our lives of, of learning things time and again the hard way, that should be a red flag to us that something is seriously wrong. You know, another uh, warning sign that can alert us that, that things are not as they, they should be, that we're not as sensitive, that we're not as tuned in to Him as we need to be, is if we look back in our lives and our trials if we see this recurring trial that comes up again and again, you know, perhaps we're not getting the lesson. You know, just like a teacher in school, when we learn the lesson, God moves on. He doesn't keep drilling the same point in to, to you know, as the expression goes, to beat a dead horse. He teaches us, accomplishes his objective, and then moves on to the next one. Another warning that we may see in our lives are periods of time where we feel weighted down or feel heavenly burdened. Now, we all have uh, bad days. We heard about that in, in the sermonette. And there's a, you know, certain steps that we can go through to correct our thinking and, and see the uh, things in the proper context. But if, if we go through this period of time where we're just weighted down, feeling heavily burdened, you know, that should be a warning sign to us. I remember one time recognizing that in myself, that, you know, something is not right. I'm, I'm feeling heavily burdened all of the time. I recognize, you know, something is out of balance. Because our, our Father in Heaven did not intend for that to be the case. And so if we're able to see that in our lives, then we're able to take corrective action. But we certainly can't fix a problem that we don't see. We have to see it first. Then we can fix it. Let's go to, to Matthew chapter 11. You know, in my own case, when I recognized uh, that uh, feeling this, for an extended period of being weighted down, I thought of this passage, Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. Christ says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, His intent is not that we would continue to be heavily burdened. The, the offer, the promise that He extends is that He will give us rest if we come to Him. Take My yoke upon you, verse 29, and learn of Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For My yoke is easy and My burden is light. You know, if you see in yourself that you're feeling weighted down, that's a warning sign. That something is out of whack. 
You know, the Scripture makes it clear that that if we're carrying Christ's burden, that the burden is light. That if we're feeling heavily weighted, heavily burdened, that we're carrying something else. And if we recognize it, then we can begin to address it and take corrective action. You know, often uh, that represents a paradigm shift. Let's go to to Philippians chapter 4. You know, frequently when we're burdened, when we're feeling uh, weighted down, we would define the problem in the context of things that are beyond our control. And yet, from Scripture, we see that uh, there's a different approach that we should be taking. Philippians chapter 4, in verse 11, Paul says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Frequently what we need is is simply to, to shift our paradigm to understand it in a different context. You know, what Paul describes is, is not that, um, you know, he, he didn't have any needs, therefore it was easy to be content. He describes that he learned how to be content even in great need. Just as he was able to be content when, when things were aplenty. You know, that's a, a point that we, we all have to come to. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6, another uh, key point that, that ties in with this that can help us see things in the proper perspective, help us frame things in the right context. In Matthew chapter 6, Christ is, is addressing this, um, you know, the, and we all... Uh, deal with this from time to time where we, we feel anxious or, or nervous. We have this anxiety. And Christ talks about this in verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. 
But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know, the point there is not that you don't have these needs. The point is that if we're focusing on those needs, that we're focusing on the wrong things. That our priority, our focus, our attention should be predominantly on our number one goal in life. Seeking God's kingdom and His righteousness. All those other things, legitimate needs, in many cases, God is aware of. And if we will focus on what's most important, He will provide those other things. Just as He takes care of all His other creation. You know, the, the birds of the air that are provided for and fed, they're not made in His image. We are. You know, the, the grass and the flowers, the stuff that withers in the heat, it looks beautiful after the rain. Again, it's not made in His image. And yet, you know, in the spring or when things are in bloom, and you drive around or you walk and you see all the, the variety of blooms, God's creation alive, you know, you can't help but be amazed at, at God's creativity and at His interest even in, in the small little details and His concern for even the tiny, tiny things that He enjoys those things. And He created them for our enjoyment, for our benefit. If He did that, you know, how much more is He tuned into and aware of the things that, that are on our mind? And when we can step back from our needs, if we can step back from our situation to things that cause us the frustration or the anxiety. When we can step back and see things in the proper perspective, we realize that we can turn these things over to God. And that He can then take care of them. And that we can uh, learn the lessons that He is teaching us at this time. You know, certainly we, as we look in our lives, we can see various things that that can represent those red flags that we're not as tuned into our Father in Heaven as we need to be. And yet, once we see it, then we can address it, then we can work to correct it. But unless we, we see it, we certainly can't correct a problem that we don't see. You know, the first step in, in becoming more sensitive to God's guidance, to God's will in our lives is complete and total surrender. You know, we have to recognize that God's way yields a far better outcome than our way. It's not close. It yields a far better outcome than our way. You know, that's a point that each of us came to as we approached baptism. That we came to the reality, the understanding 
that I don't want to go through life trying to make my way work. I've had enough of that. That God's way yields a much better outcome every time. Not some of the time, not most of the time, but all of the time. Yields a much better outcome. And when we see that contrast between His way and our way, then it's not hard to surrender. We can think about that and we realize, you know, what we're, what we're giving up is, is something we need to, something we're happy to turn loose of. And we need His help to do it and His help to help us remember it. But if, if we have that feeling, that attitude of, of complete and total surrender, then we're eager to practice His way. We're eager. We're not grudgingly thinking, oh, well, okay, I've got to, because God is watching. No, we're eager to, because we know that it'll produce a better result than whatever alternatives or options we could think of. You know, we won't try to take care of the problem our way. We'll try to take care of it God's way. Sometimes that means recognizing the limit and realizing it's not our place to put the other fellow in his place. That's God's job. He will do that. If I will turn loose and step back, that he will do that. You know, there's such a contrast between the results that come from pursuing things God's way and pursuing things our way. Each morning with, with breakfast, we have a, a custom in our house that I'll, uh, we'll go through a verse in the Bible, usually Proverbs, and we'll discuss it and uh, get the girls to, uh, you know, talk about it. And, and sometimes that means defining words because, uh, uh, you know, the, the King James English, it contains, a or New King James even, you know, large words that they're not, uh, not a part of their everyday vocabulary. And so it, it expands that and allows uh, for an opportunity to, to discuss you know, God's uh, principles, ways that it can be applied. And it's interesting sometimes to see the level at which they're able to comprehend and, and make certain connections. You know, I, I'll, I'll read a verse and then I'll ask them, uh, what do you think that means? Be able to hear them describe back how, how they understand it. And uh, sometimes they have some pretty good ideas, and, and other times we'll, we'll discuss it, and, and, and they will have an understanding of it. Well, um, a while back, we had, had gone through uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, and it uh, has a principle there for friendship that a person who has friends must. Be friendly. Must show themselves friendly. And not, not the next day, but days later, Amy came in and she was really upset with the neighbor girl, Caroline. Caroline had informed her that day that she was Emily's friend, not Amy's friend. <laughs> Amy was hurt. Her feelings were hurt. She was sad. and She was um, 
initially thinking about how she could make Caroline be her friend. <laughs> but we, she, you know, we, we talked about it, and she understood that that wasn't going to work. So we didn't describe, we, we talked about uh, being friendly, talked about what the Bible says, talked about not taking it into your own hands. Well, you know, little kids can connect the dots on their own, sometimes in surprising ways. The next day, she made the neighbor Caroline a card. And she went and she gave Caroline a card. And, you know, Caroline returned in kind. She made Amy a card and, you know, you're my next best friend. And so... <laughs> They're all friends, and everybody's happy, and, and everybody's uh, getting along. It was a great teaching opportunity. It was a great contrast between, you know, the results that our way will, will bring us and the results of pursuing things God's way. You know, when somebody uh, hurts our feelings or offends us, what comes naturally, you know, our way, the, the carnal ideas that come from within... Or certainly not to, to be friendly to them. You know, what comes naturally is, oh, show them. Well, I'm going to get even and make them regret it. They're going to be sorry that they ever, whatever. And yet, you know, what's the result of that approach? You know, what's the result of that approach? We've all seen the fruits of that. You know, that's the, the stuff we don't want any part of. When we see it and we recognize it for what it is, we don't want those fruits in our lives. And yet if we can see it, if we are surrendered to God, seeking for His will, His solution to our problems, and we can apply it, you know, with faith. Not, not apply it with the idea, okay, well, I'll try this, but I, don't, I know it won't work. You know, God's way really does work. And when we put it to the test, we see that in our lives. You know, in, in, term, in the context of surrender, are you asking God to lead you or... Are you asking God to back you up? You know, there's a huge difference. You know, we need to be asking God to lead us. If He directs our steps, He will help us avoid the pitfalls of life. You know, the alternative is, is we keep trying our way and asking Him to help us make it work. Bail me out. Keep this from happening. It's so much easier if He leads our path to start with. You know, are you fighting your battles? Or is God fighting them for you? you know, are you fighting your battles or is God fighting them for you? I know personally I don't want to fight them. I, I really want God to fight them. I think we all understand that and feel that way. You know, the, the trick, it's not really a trick, but the, the thing that we have to keep in mind is that we think of it 
as we encounter them. You know, that it's not something we only think of or reflect on on the Sabbath, but that it's something that's, that's in our thinking throughout the week. Looking to God to, to lead us and to fight the battles for us. You know, recently I, I had the opportunity to uh, tour the battlefield there at Waterloo. And it was uh, an incredible experience to uh, see the museum there at the site, to take a tour around the perimeter of, of the battlefield. You know, here you have this rolling farmland. And in the battle that ensued there, 50,000 men either lost their lives or were wounded there. The battle lasted, or the campaign lasted three days. The final battle lasted for ten hours. And to, to walk that ground and to see the pictures and read the accounts and hear the narratives of what took place over that ground. You know, the, the God that we serve is the one who declares the end from the beginning, who intervenes to accomplish His will. And he intervened there at the Battle of Waterloo. The French would have won had God not intervened. The French had, uh, under Napoleon, had a, a superior army. Their guns were much larger. And yet, God intervened to bring about, to pour out the promises, to fulfill the promises that he had made to Abraham that would be fulfilled with his descendants. And God caused it to rain all night, this heavy rain, just before the final battle. Well, that heavy rain meant that these large artillery pieces now turned into a liability rather than an asset because they had to be hauled up and down these hills. It was a miry mess. The uh, British forces commanded by the Duke of Wellington were victorious. Wellington himself described it, the, the battle afterwards, as the nearest run thing you ever saw in your life. That here it was this close, close battle all day until Blucher finally uh, arrived at the critical time with the Prussian forces, and that turned the tide. But 50,000 men. And as, I, as I walked that area and, and saw the pictures, and, and uh, there the, the, uh, the museum, it was an incredible sight, and it brought to mind that God offered, when He brought the Israelites out of Egypt, to fight their battles for them. And that, you know, looking at that, the 50,000 men, what a waste! You know, there was an easier way, a better way. When God offered to, to promise the Israelites, that bringing them into the promised land, the land that He had prepared for them, he described for them 
for the Israelites that if they heeded him, he would drive out the enemy with hornets. That he would send his fear before them. That the enemy would turn their backs and would run. You know, what a contrast between what God was offering His people if they would obey Him. What a contrast between that and what uh, His people down through time have received. Because down through time they have not sought Him with their whole heart. Been sensitive to His guidance. Instead, they've pursued their own objective. And God has intervened at various times and delivered the victories that He promised beforehand. But there was an easier way. And at His people, as His people, you know, with His Holy Spirit at this time, we certainly want that easier way. We're able to learn a lot more if we pursue things the uh, if we're tuned in to the lessons that God is is teaching us if we're surrendered to him that he's able to cover more ground with us you know one of the very important key let's turn to Isaiah 58 Isaiah 58 one of the very important keys that we have that helps us be able to surrender in the right way is that the tool of fasting We see in Isaiah chapter 58, two very different approaches to fasting are described. What we see initially described, um, we'll read beginning in verse, verse 3. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you taken no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. So God poses this question, speaking for them, you know, that, that they might say, why have we fasted? Well, what good is it? You know, we've gone to all this effort, and yet you've taken no notice. God answers the question. He says, you know, I, I'm not going to pay attention to that kind of fast. I'm not going to honor that kind of fast, because the fast that you're trying, that you're attempting... It's this big public display. You're fasting so everybody else will see you're fasting. You're not fasting to change. You're fasting as a gimmick so that I will owe you one. That you can keep doing what you're doing and that I will suddenly somehow make it work. He says, you know, that's, that's not the approach that I'm going to give ear to. And so he describes a different fast. Verse 6, is, not the, is, not, is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? 
You know, the fast that's pleasing in God's sight is a fast where we are seeking to change. We're seeking to change. We're asking Him to help us change. Our focus while we're fasting is not on our regular activities, pursuing our own pleasures, afflicting others. Our focus that day is on recognizing those yokes in our life so that we can see them and then break them with His help. Recognizing the areas in our life that we need to change. Because up until then, we've been pursuing it our way instead of His way. Recognizing the difference between His way and our way as it's practiced in our lives. He goes on to describe other aspects. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? You know that the result of fasting in the right way, fasting with an attitude, a desire to change, is one that these changes then will be evident in our lives. God will show us these areas where we need to turn, where we need a course correction. But the point is that our mind is focused on it, so it's easier for Him to show us. We're more receptive to it because we're looking for it. You know, the alternative is that we could just avoid fasting. These lessons still need to be taught. God has to get our attention with a little bit heavier hand. But if we're fasting and looking for this, fasting is such a wonderful tool because it helps us be more surrendered, more in tune. It, it helps us break these yokes, these bonds. And God goes on to describe then a result that comes from this approach to fasting and then by extension to life. Verse 8, Then your light shall break forth like the morning, and your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and He will say, Here I am. So that if we make this approach our own, Put this into practice in our life. Surrender in this way and focus on it. That God describes this wonderful, close relationship. That our righteousness will spring out as the, as like the morning sun. That we'll be able to have the kind of relationship with Him that we call out to Him and He says, here I am. You know, don't, isn't that what we all desire? That when we cry out to God, here I am. That He's right there. That He's not far off and distant. That we have that sense of, of harmony and being in tune with Him. He goes on to describe more about this. You know, this contrast between these two approaches to fasting. And that if we fast in the right way, looking for things to change in our lives, that we have this result this relationship with Him. You know, continuing in verse 9, If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, 
If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted, the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. Well, don't we all want that in our own lives? Certainly. And it describes the, the process by which this is accomplished. Verse 11, The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. You know, what a beautiful picture that's being painted that comes as a result of trying to surrender completely, fully, without reservation, not holding something back. Surrender completely through this, specifically through this tool of fasting. Fasting is this tool that helps us focus and tune into what God is trying to accomplish in our lives. It helps us be a little more uh, tuned into the fact that without God's help, we're nothing. You know, as the day goes on when you're fasting and you feel weaker and weaker, it's easier and easier to understand how inadequate we are without God's help, without His Spirit working with us and then working in us and through us after baptism. You know, imagine what life would be like without the tool of fasting. You know, it's, it's such a blessing to be able to work with the right tools. Have you ever tried to do something and you didn't have the tools that you needed? You know, sometimes you can, things just don't work as well. It's a lot more difficult. I remember years ago making uh, some pieces of furniture. And I had some solid wood that I needed to uh, put as a border around a tabletop. And at the time, I did not have, uh, there were a lot of tools that I didn't have. And so I got it lined up pretty close and, and, and glued together. And then the hard part, the really hard part, began of, of making it perfectly smooth. And it took hours and hours and hours using a hand plane and sandpaper and a chisel. And all my nights were spent devoted to making this little uh, project turn out beautifully. Well, time went by. I was able to acquire a few new tools. And the next time I had a similar project, and I was doing the same exact thing, piece of furniture and, and taking a, a solid wood to put around as an edge on a tabletop. Well, this time around I had a planer, a real one, not a hand one, an electric one, and I had a, a, a biscuit joiner. I was able to do in minutes... What had taken hours and hours and hours and hours and hours before. And to this day, when I walk through the garage and see that box of tools, I think what a joy, what a blessing it is to have the right tool because it makes the job go so much easier. 
You know, fasting is that way. To, to have the understanding of what fasting, what we can accomplish in our lives through fasting, how we can tune in to what God is trying to teach us and guide us. What a blessing it is to know about fasting, to be able to uh, take advantage of that, to practice that, and to receive the result that's described right here in our lives. You know, God chooses what to teach us, but we get to choose how loud He calls our name. You know, we don't get to choose which lessons, which objectives that He teaches us. He chooses that. But our choice is how quickly we respond. You know, if, if we respond while He is still calling us gently, working with us gently, boy, it's beautiful. If we don't, if we persist in doing whatever, God does not give up. He comes back to it a little later. You know, we're not going to give up on, on Amy and swimming. We're going to come back to that a little later when she's ready. And she will be able to have the enjoyment of it that her older sister does. Well, you know, the lessons that God is trying to teach us are not so that we would suffer, but so that we would be able to have the joy of our salvation. That we would be able to have the joy that comes from understanding and practicing His way more fully in our lives. But again, the choice is ours in terms of how quickly, how readily we give God our ear and our attention. You know, let's uh, turn to the book of Jonah. Certainly uh, an, an example that, that comes to mind. An example that comes to mind of uh, not listening very uh, very well to God's instruction. You know, there are some examples that we see and we recognize and we think, I want to follow in those footsteps. And then there are other examples that we see and recognize, I do not want to follow in those footsteps. I hope that I'm able to learn things a little easier than that. Jonah is one of those examples. In Jonah chapter 1, we'll just uh, read a couple of the high spots here. Uh, beginning in verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amity, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So God said, go this way. And Jonah went the other way as fast as he could go. But again, we don't get to choose what lesson God teaches us. We get to choose how readily we give ear. And in Jonah's case, he thought, you know, I don't want to do that. I don't really like the people over there at Nineveh. 
I hope God does strike them down. And I think I'll go over here. That'll be it. Well, God doesn't give up very easily. And, you know, aside from this humorous example here, I think in our lives we're very glad that God does not give up very easily. You know, that God does persist with us even when we, we don't readily give ear. You know, so Jonah went the other way as quick as he could, and you're familiar with the story. Huge, terrible storm came up. The people on the boat thought, you know, this is unusual. Something is going on. And Jonah's conscience afflicted him, and he confessed. No problem. They tossed him overboard. We'll get rid of the problem. Well, up comes this giant fish and swallowed Jonah, and his problems just went from bad to worse. Now, instead of being in the middle of this boat being tossed to and fro, now he was in the belly of a fish. Now, I don't know what the fish's belly smelled like, but any of you fishermen can have an idea of what that might have smelled like. Well, you can imagine the fervor with which Jonah was now crying out to God. You know, now God had His complete attention. What was that you wanted me to do? Where was that you wanted me to go? I would love to. I would just be happy to do whatever you want. You know, a very, very different attitude. So the fish spit Jonah out on dry land. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and preach to it the message I will tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. You know, Jonah listened this time. Things were a little different this time. You know, as God is working with us in our lives... We have the choice. You know, are we going to follow in the approach that Jonah took? I remember years ago uh, being uh, faced with a, a decision. And I thought in my mind I knew the answer. I prayed about it. And I realized that's not the direction God is leading. And if God is leading in a particular direction and we do not follow, we have a choice. We can follow sooner or we can follow later. Jonah chose to follow later. I don't want to follow later. I want to follow sooner. And as I look back, I'm so glad that I recognized that at the time. You know, if as we recognize certain things at the time, if we can recognize what God is doing, where He is leading, then things work out so much easier if we will follow. And if we give our attention uneasily, then things get difficult. You know, another thing that we can do to to become more sensitive to God's guidance in our lives is to simply reflect on the lessons that we've learned 
you know, to review in our own mind. Perhaps write it down on paper so that you won't forget the lessons that you've learned, the way that God has intervened and guided you and directed you. Because what happens in time if we're not reviewing that regularly? We forget. We forget. You know, it's like looking at pictures from years ago. After a while, all the trip, the, you know, the different experiences, the different feast sites, the different places, after a while, it can begin to kind of run together and our mind forgets some of the detail. And yet, when you look back at pictures from something, places that you've been or, or, or things that you've done years ago, suddenly all sorts of details come flooding back and you remember things that you have forgotten. Well, you know, with lessons in life, if we forget them, we have to learn them again. And it's so much easier if we can simply avoid the forgetting them part. And by reviewing them, by making it a practice and a habit to review those lessons, review the situations that that God has brought us through, the ways that He has worked with us and intervened. It gives us courage to move forward. It gives us confidence because we know He doesn't change. Remember the Israelites, the ancient Israelites? Every time they came to a problem... They had no memory, no recollection of what God had done for them before. You know, in some cases, that meant that they had no recollection of breakfast when He sent down manna. (laughs) You know, we certainly don't want to be that forgetful. Let's go to uh, Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. We see an important principle. In verse 26, we're told to ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. To ponder the path of our feet. You know, that path goes forwards and backwards. That path involves not just where we're going, it also involves where we've been. The things we have been through that God has brought us through. That we should reflect on that. Making sure that where we are going is in the right direction. That our, that our path, that our feet will be established firmly by God. Let's go now to Luke chapter 11. Going to notice three keys to discerning God's will in our lives. You know, we we see uh, certainly the need to be more sensitive to it. We uh, see ways to be more sensitive to that by surrendering to Him, using fasting to be uh, more easily guided by reflecting on the lessons that we've learned to internalize them so that we don't forget and have to repeat certain things. 
Then the next part is being able to recognize it when we're there, being able to recognize when we're facing those decisions, what is His will right here, right now in our lives. In Luke uh, chapter 11, (coughs) Christ says in verse uh, 9, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You know, as we look to discern God's will right here, right now, our next step in our lives begins with prayer. Asking God for His guidance. Asking Him to make it plain. To make it clear. You know, he, Christ here uses the analogy of a father with his children. You know, when my girls come to me in the morning, if they're up early and it's before breakfast, and if they'll ask me or they'll ask my wife, Mommy or, or Daddy, can I have some juice? Or can I have some, some, something to eat? You know, a, a parent that loves their children delights in giving, you know, providing for their needs wouldn't think of giving them instead something that's harmful. You know, our Father in Heaven looks at us with an even greater love, an even greater concern and tenderness. And that as we ask Him to make clear His will in our lives, He is happy to do so, delights in doing so, providing us with the Holy Spirit to work with us, to work through us, to guide us, to help us to see it and recognize it. To help us to see it and recognize it. You know, as we ask Him, we need to make sure that, you know, are we asking Him to make our way work? Is our, are our questions, our requests framed from the perspective of make this work out? Or are they instead framed from the perspective of please show me. Please show me what to do. Help me to recognize it, to see it, and to do it. I need not only to see it, but I also need the strength, the help to, to actually follow it, to apply it. You know, as we ask God to show us, to lead us, He certainly will. I remember the first uh, home that my wife and I had. I was graduating from college and getting married and moving and starting a new job all at the exact same time. I was going to be moving to um, Sister Congregation. And so I knew a number of people over in that area and, and had described what I was looking for housing-wise. And the, the advice that I had been given was, 
it's going to take you a couple of weeks. The housing market is tight. You'll have a difficult time finding what, you're, what you need, what you're looking for. Well, because of all the other things going on, I didn't have two weeks. I was trying to work as, as much as I could. Uh, needed to uh, study for the exam so that I would graduate, uh, so that I could get married, and so that I could move and start the new job. There was this a series of dependencies. So I prayed about it. And what I did have time to do was go and look for one afternoon. And so I, I went to school in the morning, took off work in the afternoon, drove over, uh, prayed about it extensively, got the newspaper, looked, went through all the ads, circled the ones that were of interest, and drove around the city looking for the place that I had asked God to pick it out and lead me to it. And at the end of the day, I was somewhat frustrated because it was pretty close to uh, 5 o'clock. I was on the far side of town where I had not wanted to be, faced with a choice between two places that were one was really dumpy, and the other one looked a little better but was across the street from a place that obviously had a drug problem. So this was not exactly what I was hoping for, what I had been praying about. And I thought, well, um, this is, you know, I, I've asked for one thing and this is what, uh, this is what I'm up against, so... I will try to make the best of it. Um, I will choose the lesser of the two evils and trust that God in, in the next six months will show me a better place that I can, can move to. And as I retraced my steps through the city, and that, that afternoon I was wondering, and I had this question harkening back to a game my brother and I played as kids where one of us would pick out an object and the other would try to guess it. And the one that had it in mind would, would tell you whether you're getting hotter or colder, you know, depending on how close you're getting. So as I was driving around, I was wondering, am I getting hotter or colder? <laughs> and as I retraced my steps out of town, I stopped by one place that I hadn't seen, although I had driven past it earlier. And I stopped by, and they said, we don't have what you're looking for. There's another place, but it's closed now because it's after 5 o'clock. But they might have something. Well, I drove past that place I stopped by, and in the six and a half years that I went on to live there, I never saw them open past five. <laughs> but they were that day. <laughs> they were that day, and God, God worked it out, and we were very happy there. And we understood and recognized what a blessing it was, especially by comparison with those other two places I'd found. <laughs> but if we ask God to lead us. If we ask Him to show us, He will. We can ask Him with, great, with a great degree of, of specificity, and He will delight in providing for our needs. Another key to discerning His will is found in Psalm 119. Psalm 119. A very uh, familiar chapter. We're going to uh, begin in verse 97. We read, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. 
I have restrained my feet from every evil way, that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, God's word, as we study it, as we reflect on it and meditate on it, we come to see the joy that's described right here. That it's not something to be dreaded. It's not a burden to study and meditate on God's Word. What's described right here is how sweet it is. You know, sweeter than honey. We, we might describe it as sweeter than chocolate. It is sweet, particularly when we understand the results that come from its application. And that God's Word is, is a lamp to our feet. It guides our steps. You know, as we study His Word and ask Him to help us understand what His will is, what He's trying to teach us, what we need to change, what we should do, He will help bring to mind these verses that we've read in His Word. He'll help bring the right verse to mind at the right time. We'll be able to understand those principles that are there. Be able to apply them in our lives. You know, when I, when I think in terms of uh, various ones and in, in sensitivity to, to discerning God's will, there's a passage that comes to mind. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 26. 1 Samuel chapter 26. It's an interesting passage. Uh, when David was running from King Saul for his life, Saul was seeking him with an army. You can imagine what a uh, discouraging time that was for David. Kind of the, the roller coaster that his life was during that time. And in here in 1 Samuel chapter 26, we, uh, we have the account of an occasion where uh, Saul was seeking him. I believe he had uh, 3,000 of his men there with him. Uh, he knew where David was, and so he was seeking him, and David found out where he was. And so uh, David, verse 5, arose and came to the place where Saul had camped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Now Saul lay within the camp, and with the people camped all around him. So David observed the layout of the camp. He saw everybody asleep and, and Saul in the middle and, and the commander, his general there near him. David said, you know, I'm going down there. Who wants to come with me? I'm, I'm going down. And so in verse 6, uh, Abishai says, I will go down with you. So David, verse 7, and Abishai came to the people by night. And there Saul lay sleeping within the camp, and his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. And then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. You know, here there's this choice. And Abishai here, his companion, is, is telling him, 
This is the deliverance that you have been looking for and praying for. This is it. And then he goes on. He says, uh, Now therefore, please, let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. It's just going to take one blow. I, I can do it. I'll be happy to do it. And won't just give me one shot. That's all I ask, one shot. And notice David, verse 9. Do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord, the Lord shall strike him. Or his day will come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. You know, here we have what on a physical level looked like the solution to these problems. And yet David was sensitive enough to God's will that when he was right there, he recognized. You know, I wonder what verses came to mind as he was talking to Abishai. Now, was he thinking about Korah and his rebellion and how God put that down? Was he thinking when he describes, you know, the Lord will strike him down or maybe he'll die at an old age or maybe he'll die in battle. Was he thinking about how God had dealt with Eli and his sons? You know, the time's coming, we'll be able to ask him. But the point is, as we study God's Word, God's Word we'll be able to receive the guidance, the instruction from it at, at key points. When we're faced with choices and we're wondering, what is God's will? Which way would He have me choose? We've been asking God and studying His Word. He'll have those answers. It will just come to mind. Another way that we can understand His will is a principle we find in Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. In verse 14, we read in verse 14, Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. There is wisdom in seeking counsel. But when we seek counsel, the burden is still on us, the one asking. It's still on us to discern the principles of wisdom in that counsel and to make the choices accordingly. You know, there are two different approaches to, to counsel, to seeking counsel. You know, on the one hand, um, you know, what we... We have what could, is sometimes described as minister shopping, where somebody will keep asking somebody or, or different ones, different ministers, until they get the right answer. <laughs> whether it's they're asking the ministers or whether they're asking friends or, or various ones, they have an answer in mind, and they're just asking, hoping to find somebody who will provide them the answer they're looking for. They're just looking for an excuse. 
Well, you know, that's a, a way that normally, uh, usually, ends in misery. It doesn't produce the results that we want and need. You know, the better approach is that we, we ask, we may ask a, a variety of people, ask a multitude of counselors, but we're looking for God's wisdom in that counsel. That our perspective is not, what will God let me do? But instead, what does God want me to do? You know, there's a, a, a difference between how much He will let us do before He will strike us down, or before He will intervene and, and, and pull us back. There's a huge difference between that and what He would delight in us doing. And certainly as we love our Father in Heaven, we want to please Him. We want to make Him happy. So we ask uh, for counsel. That's one of the ways that we can be, begin to discern God's will in our lives. We will hear certain principles of God's wisdom. Uh, perhaps certain things that we haven't considered. But the choice, the burden, is still with us to make that discernment in prayer, and understand God's will in our lives. You know, what lesson is God teaching you right now? I hope you will reflect on that. Think about that. Ask yourself, what lesson is God teaching me right now? The sooner we can get that in our mind, the easier, the faster we'll be able to learn that lesson. God works with us and teaches us not only in trials, but also in blessings. God teaches us. He has objectives, things that He wants us to grow, not only through the difficult times, but also through the good times. God wants us to learn certain things at all times. What is God teaching me right now? Perhaps at work? Perhaps with our co-workers? Perhaps with our family? Perhaps with our neighbors? What lessons is God teaching me right now? God is preparing us, developing us, growing us. You know, Christ told His disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. God the Father and Jesus Christ are discussing right now the, the, the place for you and I in the kingdom. And they are preparing us for that. He chooses what to teach us, but we get to choose how quickly, how readily we give attention, give ear. We get to choose whether or not we learn it the hard way or we can choose to learn it the easy way by constantly striving to be more sensitive to God's will in our lives. 